Welcome to the Moon and Back podcast. This is your host, Ocean Pleasant. I invite you to settle in, take the deepest breath you've taken all day as we prepare to tap into the cosmos for some real talk. During our time together, you can expect monthly solo hangs as you and I explore the power of astrology, as well as a monthly guest episode featuring some of my favorite experts on love, wellness, business, and beyond. At the bottom of your next breath, let's dive in. I believe one of the most important ingredients in any successful relationship is understanding the conditions needed for each person to feel safe and loved. So today I want to introduce the principle of what would happen in your relationships if you treated people how they want to be treated and loved them the way they need to be loved based on their moon sign. And as the launch episode of a podcast that literally has moon in the title, it seemed especially fitting. So when you hear the word love, your mind might jump to Venus. And I guess while that's a crucial part of the relationship conversation, Venus isn't what makes us feel safe. It's how we romanticize the world. It's the style or aesthetic of how we give and receive love. But before we can even get to that point with another person, you have to feel emotionally safe first. Without the connection of emotional intimacy, Venus has no reason to pull out all the stops and fluff its peacock feathers and start the dance of love. The task of whether or not another person can make you feel safe predates the rest of the relationship, so it's really important that we have this foundation. So I'm going to take you through the needs of all 12 moon signs so you can take this moment to confirm what sign your moon is in and any relationships that are on your heart right now, whether it's friends or family or romantic partners. And if the birth chart feels confusing, you can just Google moon sign calculator to get started. Looking at other people's charts is exactly why I first became so fascinated with the moon. I mean, just deep down the rabbit hole of understanding compatibility. So imagine my surprise when studying the moon ended up illuminating my relationship with my mother more than any other person in my life. Like, it doesn't just have to be romantic. It is truly What are the significant relationships that you share the most energy, most karma, most connection with? This is important work for everybody. And it's helped me not only understand our differences, but develop compassion and appreciation for them. And I mean, I really can't stress the power of the moon enough, especially because next episode we're diving into relationship astrology. So this is a great foundation for how we're going to build on today. From an elemental perspective, I have a fire moon, so for Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius moons, our reactions are impulsive, blunt, almost too honest. It takes deliberate effort, at least for me, to have any filter whatsoever, which means taking inventory, right? Inventory of how I might have accidentally bumped into other people, like when you sit too close to a campfire, right? It's not that the fire meant to burn you, it's that the proximity to the fire sometimes unintentionally leaves a mark. Because of that, not letting pride ruin a good thing and knowing when to apologize, that's a doozy for fire moons. So now the trick with fire isn't to apologize for how bright you burn, but how hot you burn. If you know me personally, you know I love a good analogy. So I love to think about flamethrowers or fire dancers and how they use white gas because it's the lowest burn temperature. So even if they hit themselves in the leg, they're totally fine. So if you're wondering how I know that, I was actually in a fire performance troupe when I was 13. And that's all I'm going to say about that right now. 
fire burns bright. It hopefully motivates, inspires the people around you. But with awareness, it's not going to cause third degree burns in our relationships hopefully. But see, that's not always the case. And it, it wasn't always the case for me, especially as a teenager with a water moon mother who had a proclivity towards internalizing, sensitivity. I mean, the memory of water is that they don't forget a thing. So a bump on Tuesday that I forget on Wednesday gets brought up 10 years later. And that might seem like a mom thing, but it's a mom thing on steroids if your mom has moon in a water sign. We're talking Cancer, Scorpio, Pisces moons. Y'all remember the name of your second grade bully, the bitch who stole your carrots at recess, and still check her Facebook. What dissipates quick for fire gets retained by water. Working with the wisdom of the moon, I think honestly has allowed me to soften my delivery, to pause, and try to listen more than I speak with the water moons in my life, which is not an indictment of those sensitive placements because we know that their sensitivity is a power. It's a gift to this world and understanding the nuance in how our dynamics shift from person to person is where we stop feeling victimized by things that are not personal in the slightest, which is to say, that is so different from my relationship to air moons, Gemini, Libra, Aquarius. When combined with fire, I mean, we're at the brunch table for three hours, no filter, somehow managing to maintain six different trains of thought simultaneously within one conversation. It's a much faster, topical, effortless rapport. And I have an equal but different love for my Earth Moon family, Moons in Taurus, Virgo, Capricorn. These conversations are typically more productive, inspirational. We're both reminding each other what we're capable of, but in different ways. Me adding energy and permission for them to start something new, where they give me reminders to finish what I started and monetize the shit out of everything. And then there's fire with fire, which sounds pretty self-explanatory. It's either the best night of your life or it's the Hindenburg. It's the gift of emotional intelligence and working with the moon to recognize that we can show up differently in different spaces with different people and still be authentic, even as our rapport shifts from person to person. A big part, I think, of maintaining that authenticity is knowing what you need to feel emotionally safe, especially as you adapt to other people and your surroundings. So using astrology as a tool, how can you equip yourself to be as prepared as possible to love and receive love at the highest vibration in total alignment with the people that matter to you, right? That's what's important. And the best way to maintain a sense of self and avoid collapsing into another person is to go, I can be flexible when meeting your needs, but not when honoring mine. That is the boundary predication to simultaneously allow every relationship to look a little different without losing yourself. And that's why work with the moon is so important. So I'm going to go through and explain what each of the 12 moon signs need to feel emotionally safe, secure, and validated from the perspective of both having this moon if it's your placement, but then also weaving in some outside perspective for learning how to dance with the moon placements of your loved ones. Let's start, of course, with the first sign of the zodiac, Aries, the initiator. They need room to make the first move, but they need to be trusted that the freedom they desire doesn't equate to a lack of interest or infidelity, right? At your best with an Aries moon, you've got your own friends and interests. Your honesty is appreciated rather than scolded. 
and you're perceived as refreshingly bold rather than someone who needs to contract or take up less space. To feel safe, you need to know that your partner can keep up with you, that you're never going to have to slow down or dim your ambitions for your other half, someone who really adores your go-getter attitude, even if it's not their style. And I want to stress this because you don't have to date a carbon copy of yourself. You just need someone who supports you 10,000% without hesitation. If you're trying to woo an Aries moon, that's the way to do it. Like, babe, if you want to go to the moon or kayak 30,000 miles on the Danube River, I'll be there with refreshments when you dock. (laughs) Now, Taurus moons, on the other hand, are a total change of pace. The moon is exalted here, meaning that the emotional body really enjoys being in this sign. Gentle, sensual, deliberate. They can be slow to let people into their inner world, but when you've proven your loyalty, a Taurus moon will ride or die for you. The secret about this placement is how insecure they can feel sometimes, even when they don't express it, even when they're the rock for everyone else, but they feel really shaky on the inside sometimes. Am I pretty enough? Do they like me? What does the future look like? Do I bring enough to the table? Am I earning enough money? Am I giving too much? Just the, woo, look at that voice for a second. Whatever the inner monologue of a Taurus moon can become, they need a partner who reassures them, who is interested in building a stable life together, someone who wants a Sunday morning routine of waking up, going to the farmer's market, cooking a delightful frittata, going on a two-hour hike, and then topping it off at your favorite cocktail lounge with an outdoor patio, followed by a binge of your three favorite episodes of a show you've watched 50 times. Did I nail it or did I nail it, Taurus Moons? Come on now. If you can find a shared love for the routines that make a Taurus moon's world go round, then you've got them for life. Financial security is also important here, so someone who can pull their weight and then some is always appreciated, but at the end of the day, they want to know that they're building a foundation that cannot be rocked. Moon and Gemini people are the walking personification of that one love language called words of affirmation. They might tell you that they love you 500 times in one day, but they also really need to hear it back. Don't just assume that a Gemini moon knows how you feel. With them, over-communicating is ideal. They want to process everything verbally. So if you are missing air or you're not comfortable talking about your feelings, you might need to find someone else or take a crash course in oversharing. Their emotional body is ruled by the element of intellect and curiosity. So you asking about their day, creating a routine every evening to do a thorough catch-up. I love peach and pit, which is just a way of going, what was the peach or the highlight of your day? And then what sucked? What was the pit? If you initiate a way to maintain curiosity about the Gemini moons in your life, then all of the non-committal stereotypes fly out the window. Right? If a Gemini moon leaves, I hate to say this, but if a Gemini moon leaves, it's because they were bored, not because they can't commit. So having shared hobbies, reading the same books, discussing the same movies or literature, having a partner who can keep up intellectually and provide mental stimulation is the glue. Moon and Cancer individuals want to build a life together. Right, It is a labor of love. They are willing to put in the work, but they need to know that you're in it for the long haul as well. 
to decorate a gorgeous home, to cook a family dinner once a week for your inner circle of friends, to grow herbs on the windowsill, freshly baked loaves of bread, cuddling until 11 a.m., movie marathon dates. To me, this is the most sensitive sign. It's domicile, meaning that the planet is in the sign that it rules. Because of their heightened sensitivity, they can retreat quickly, like a crab, back into its shell if provoked or wounded. Words do matter but actions matter more, especially when dealing with displacement. If they seem emotionally shut off, it's probably because they never healed from their first major heartbreak or trauma that they experienced. So they stay withdrawn as a baseline to protect that soft, fleshy interior. But an emotionally available moon in Cancer is one of the most loving, adoring, touchy-feely romantics. They'll cook for you, text you I love you during the day because they were thinking of you, and in return, you are the protector of their softness. You are the champion of their heart, even in a fight reminding them that you're not going anywhere. I mean, you have to create the conditions in which they feel safe to be vulnerable because their vulnerability is the source of this endless well of sweet, sensitive magic. So being in love with love requires that they feel safe. Them wanting to build a life with you is them going, I feel safe with you even when it's hard. And that's really the important thing to remember with a Cancer Moon in your life, knowing that the actions need to support the words so that you can build that life that they dream of. Moon and Leo people are deceptively simple to please. It would be way too reductionist to say that all you have to do is flatter them, but y'all do need to admit that if your significant other was gassing you up 24-7, standing behind all of your decisions, no matter how reckless, you would be happy as a clam. But of course, there are deeper functions to this placement. For all of the undying loyalty that you offer, you also need that in return, and you don't like having to ask for it. It should be implicit, because no one ever has to ask you for the effort you put in, and you expect it to be the same in return. However, we can't assume that people are going to love us the way that we want to be loved, so it does have to be communicated. That's the trick here. Not everyone loves the same way, so before your pride gets the best of you and you react or end something prematurely, getting a clear idea of how they give and receive love is so important. You might be hurt because they didn't compliment your outfit, but they're a Virgo moon and they were busy taking the trash out and ordering your favorite food for dinner and getting your new painting professionally framed. I think deep down Leo moons need to know that even on an off day, their partner is going to stick around. Even when they're not the star of the show, the class clown, the exuberant, bubbly personality that they do tend to be, that even when they're having a shit day or don't know who they are or are struggling with imposter syndrome, which happens a lot to this placement, you are not just in love with Marilyn Monroe, you're also just as crazy about Norma Jean. That is how you earn the loyalty of a Leo, to truly love the personality and the person equally. When a Leo moon recognizes that you adore them regardless, that they don't need to perform for you, oh my gosh, it's a done deal. For our moon and Virgo folks, I really need to hype up and defend this placement because these moons are out here sometimes conditioned to believe that they need to earn love or prove their worth or that maybe they have to go above and beyond for you and then maybe then you'll reciprocate or see their value and that is ridiculous. 
Virgo placements are inclined towards service. So the moon in Virgo expresses love through acts of service, right? Two plus two equals four. You just need to make sure that the moon and Virgos in your life understand that they do not need to earn your love. A little louder for the folks in the back. Moon and Virgo placements do not need to earn anybody's love. They are worthy just as they are. That is how they feel safe and seen. Because guaranteed, they've had people in their lives that have either deliberately or unconsciously taken advantage of how much they were willing to give for the people they loved. So the important thing is not to become reliant on how much they're willing to do and sacrifice, but instead just pause. Ask yourself, how can I take something off of their plate? How can I do something that they didn't even ask me for? If they've ever been conditioned to believe that love had to be earned, then the best thing you can do to make a Virgo moon feel safe is to help them find stillness. It might feel uncomfortable for them at first, but a Virgo moon who knows they don't have to earn your love or work to keep it is going to go all in. When it comes to Libra moons, you have to be willing to be versatile and understand that their personal fluctuations don't necessarily mean they're pulling the plug or changing their mind about you. So it takes a special kind of person to be in a committed relationship with a Libra moon or to have a Libra moon in a committed relationship. And I don't mean for that to sound like a diss. I actually mean that in more of an empowering sense because a Libra is going to be constantly balancing and doing the mental gymnastics to account for every variable, every possibility. They might have a childhood wound of being the people pleaser or keeping the peace in their family. So it might take them a hot minute to flesh out who they are and what they want. Some of them might avoid commitment and others might be codependent. So giving Libra moons room to figure out who they are and what they want without being influenced by others or feeling like they have to make you happy at their own expense is the sweet spot. For you to go, I am so committed and in love with you, and I love you exactly as you are, and I remembered that one time you were interested in going to pottery, so I actually booked us a private workshop this weekend. Oh my gosh, that would make a Libra moon gush. They can be conflict avoidant, but that doesn't mean that they don't have strong opinions. They want to keep everyone happy, and it might be your job as their friend or partner to remind them that their happiness is allowed to be a priority. Moon in Scorpio. Just like it sounds, it can be complex. But different from Libra, deceptively simple within its complexity. The reason for this is that it's in fall, making the moon a little bit self-conscious in this sign. It's like deep down worried that it's not up to the task of the responsibilities of presiding over the inner emotional world, because so often the external world has weaponized the Scorpio intensity, darkness, intuition as a bad thing, which would make a moon in Scorpio the last person who would want to willingly open up, right? If all you're going to do is weaponize their inner world. So it can be powerful when focused or intensely self-destructive if they don't feel like they have a healthy outlet for that intensity. If they had any trauma around sexuality, addiction, or abandonment, then this water sign can freeze over to the point where the emotional body is inaccessible. When this happens, it's really important that the people in their lives do everything they can to reassure them of their safety. Hear me when I say that your word better be freaking unbreakable when dealing with a moon in Scorpio, because the reality is that if you lie or stretch the truth to them, even if you think it's what they want to hear, they're going to have a really hard time trusting you in the future. 
Water moons in general have a very long-lasting emotional memory, so it could be 10 years from now and still bothers them. Even when the actual words are forgotten, right, a Scorpio moon is going to remember how it felt. They don't need to apologize for being too intense or too dark or even low energy sometimes. Safety for a Scorpio moon and anyone listening who has one means that you are able to trust that the people in your life have the capacity to see you in your wholeness, the light and the shadow, and that nothing would ever change that love or opinion of you. That is what thaws the ice and makes those waters swimmable again. Moon in Sagittarius. Now, before you get reactive, this might be one of the only placements that sometimes lives up to the non-committal stereotype, but it's not for the reason you think, I promise. They're completely capable of commitment and monogamy, but the shadow of this placement is what I call the grass is greener syndrome, because it's the sign of the adventurer, the embellisher, the storyteller. They have a tendency to fantasize the next venture, the possibility just over the horizon. So anything they perceive as a limitation to their ability to explore that automatically doesn't gel. That is, unless you have a moon in Sagittarius person who's done the work to really be in love with the process of being alive, to enjoy the present moment, to find adventure in the mundane, to not need to book a flight to Greece at the slightest inconvenience. They have the impulsivity of fire, but the grandiose aura of being ruled by Jupiter. It can feel all or nothing for Sagittarius moons. So as the partner or the friend or the daughter, you need to de-escalate them by reminding them that it's not black and white, that they're not losing out on anything by being where they are, that love does not inherently mean sacrificing their dreams or potential. With this sign, having compatible lifestyles is really crucial, kind of similar to Aries, but less about ambition and more about shared experiences. This placement needs to be able to trust that the person they're building a life with isn't going to require them to sacrifice their dreams or make them feel like they're dreaming too big. There's also something maybe kind of unhealed about seeing or treating someone as heavy or dead weight, and I think that that's an opportunity for Sag Moons to go, where is my resistance to this relationship, to settling down, coming from? What is the perceived loss or FOMO as a result of being with this person? It's permission to sit it out for a little bit before jumping the gun. Sag moons thrive with a partner who's walking a parallel path in life. And nine times out of ten, I really do believe that any two signs, any two moon signs can make it work. But for Sagittarius specifically, because it's underscored by a thirst of experience, wisdom, exploration, you do have to be with someone who prioritizes those things as well. If love means gaining freedom instead of losing it, then a Sagittarius moon will happily commit. Moon in Capricorn. The moon simply doesn't know what to do with itself in this sign, which isn't a bad thing. It just means it's in detriment, meaning that it is in the sign that is opposite the sign that it rules. And since Capricorn is the opposite of Cancer, it just doesn't feel as effortless here, which is not a bad thing, right? There's just a tendency to ignore or compartmentalize feelings as a baseline, or at worst, to treat people as assets or accessories instead of opportunities for true intimacy and connection. Think about Capricorn archetype as the CEO who thrives when they're able to delegate. When you put Capricorn in charge of the innermost intimate world, 
Capricorn can't delegate that responsibility. It's like, put me to work. And the emotional body goes, no, I just want you to sit here and talk about your feelings. The archetype of Capricorn does not know what to do with itself, but you can build tools to support the exploration of the emotional body. It just means exercising a muscle that you don't naturally use all the time. That's why people have personal trainers. That's why people see astrologers, right? <laughs> so you kind of have to reverse psychology trick this placement into believing that the most productive thing they can do is take care of their emotional body, to literally frame it as productivity, because with a repressed inner world, everything else suffers. So it is productive to do nothing, to be still, to be sensitive, to be honest about what you're feeling in real time so that it doesn't blow up your life 10 months from now. We know that the esoteric origin of Capricorn is the sea goat, half water, half earth, the emotional wisdom of water, to set their sights on mountains that are actually worth climbing instead of pursuits that don't actually add quality to their lives, just quantity of accomplishment. Which is to say, there might be a stereotype that Moon and Capricorns marry for wealth, status, social access, but the highest possible road here is to pick a partner like a co-captain based on the quality of life you can build together by having each other's backs. Which isn't to say that there's no romance or sensitivity. Not at all. When a Moon and Capricorn feels comfortable being vulnerable with you. These can actually be some of the mushiest, gushiest people. It's so much more interesting to have shared goals and ambitions and build a life together and for a moon in Capricorn to know that your experience of them as a human being is more interesting to you than what's in their bank account or on their vision board. These relationships have to be equal parts spiritual and practical. Their ideal partner is someone who makes them feel safe having a foot in both worlds. Second to last, we've got Moon in Aquarius. If any placement is most likely to be polyamorous or never marry or find a unique reframe to partnership, it's definitely Aquarius Moons. But if you're happily married with three kids and you've got this placement, that's fantastic, right? Because that's the life that you chose. The operative part of that statement, meaning that Aquarius gets to decide the life that they want for themselves. They're naturally contradictive because they're the kind of person that needs to see something for themselves in order to believe it. How can they know they want to be married if they've never been married? They might be someone who has that cold feet syndrome up until, you know, they've got the ring on their finger and then it's the best thing ever for that exact reason. They see the big picture, but one of the gifts of being a Renaissance human being and the ability to future pace is that it's easy to detach from the emotional body, to be a spectator instead of a participant of the emotional realm. And that's true for all air moons, but specifically for Aquarius, because they can be so good at holding space for other people. Remember that Aquarius symbolically is the water bearer, the ability to be a container, but they need permission and support to soften and experience it for themselves. People forget to ask what they feel, what their dreams and desires are, because sometimes they have this therapeutic space holder energy. They actually make for incredible facilitators and coaches because they see all of the moving parts. They can maintain a degree of objectivity that allows them to hold space without projecting their own opinions or judgments and really just see the situation for what it is. What makes them feel safe 
is having a partner who's open-minded. And I'm not just talking about the bedroom. I'm talking ideologically, politically, environmentally, esoterically. Nothing is a bigger turnoff for Aquarius moons than a closed-minded person. And how you transcend the intellectual into the physical is making sure an Aquarius moon knows that they don't just have to be a spectator or a facilitator of life, that you really want to experience it with them. Anything you can do that drops them back into the body, back into the physical experience, maybe scheduling a couple's massage or going for a swim, jumping through waves, anything that grounds them back into the experience of relationship while keeping an open-minded perspective. That is how you make Aquarius moons feel safe. And finally, we've got Moon in Pisces. Where do I even start? These are the romantics, the dreamers, sometimes to their own detriment, falling in love with the idea of someone, creating a story that that very active imagination of theirs might result in needing people to prove their love, especially if there's been early abandonment wounds. This is a delicate love language because they equally need to feel the safety that you're not going anywhere, but you don't want to burst their whimsical bubble by being too predictable or ruining the magic. It can feel like a bit of a tightrope, but it's a lot simpler than it appears, I promise. Being in a relationship with a Pisces moon is like accepting that a child was never told Santa wasn't real and loving them for it, right? Their capacity for imagination, for dreaming, for possibility... The whimsical, the spiritual, everything in between, they're always going to be playing on a level that other people might not fully grasp or understand, so hear me out on this one, but the way to make a Pisces moon feel truly safe is to take what they say with a grain of salt without being condescending. The latter part of that is really important. As the two fish chase their tails and swim in circles, the priorities and feelings of a Pisces moon could genuinely change from Monday to Tuesday. So as they dip back below the surface into their inner world, ideally, you're the buoy bobbing on the surface, connected by a cord, so that no matter how far off they swim in their own fantasies and dreams and oddities, they can always find their way back to you. Their imagination is a gift, but imagination has a tendency to run wild. You just have to hold the fort down long enough for them to find their way back to a degree of reality that is actionable for both of you. You might not know what that means, but the Pisces moon listening to this knows exactly what I mean. To make a Pisces moon feel safe, you can plan romantic picnics, show them that you're not going anywhere without bursting their bubble, and voila, you've got a soulmate. As always, take what resonates, leave behind what doesn't. There are so many complexities in your birth chart that add nuance and flavor to each of those descriptions, but I hope as a baseline that today's conversation gives you a little extra permission to ask for what you need, communicate the ways you feel safe and seen, and invite that transparency from the people that really matter to you. What is love, if not the willingness to love people the way they want to be loved? I think if we do a little bit more of that, a little bit every day with our mom and our partner and our kids and everyone in between, imagine the kind of world we would live in. To the moon and back, I'm your host, Ocean Pleasant, and thank you so much for being in my orbit.